Hey guys, so glad you're listening in today, whenever you're able to listen in. Oh, I'm tired. I have had a, a fun but busy week. It's been awesome. I spent last weekend down in Texas with Jess and Matthew and uh, watching little baby Jane be dedicated at church, so that was fun. And then I came back Monday and uh, got home around noon and went right to church to give a teaching at Moms in Christ, which was also fun. And so since I did that, I thought this week I would just share on sort of the things I didn't have time to say in my teaching, because of course there was more to say than time allowed. So my friend Ashley asked me to speak at Moms in Christ on order and organization. They're doing like a whole year on godly homekeeping, basically. I can never remember the exact title. But anyway, that was my topic. And you know what? I kept thinking, like, I actually said to her several times, Ashley, you don't want me to speak on this. She was like, yeah, yeah, I do. And finally, I sat down and prayed about it. And of course, I found God had something he actually wanted me to share about order and organization. But I have to tell you, every time, you know, I thought about it, and I was like, Ashley, you don't want me to do this. This story uh, kept popping into my mind, which I will now share with you. And you probably will agree. Yeah, you're not the person to talk on this. You probably already know we used to do foster care. So this one time, um, our foster son was, I don't know, like one and a half or something. And he had this habit of when he was finished eating, he would put the food on his head. This was how he would tell me, all done. We didn't have the cute little, you know, sign language symbol. He would just put his food, his mac and cheese or his chicken nugget on his head, and that was how he was all done. And it worked, you know. So I didn't really have a habit of him eating in his diaper, but it turned out that this particular day, he was in his diaper, and he put his mac and cheese on his head. So I was like, oh, you're all done. So I picked him up out of his high chair and took him over, and what I would do is just tick pick uh, take him over to the sink and wash off his head. So, um, I did, I took him over to the sink to wash off his head. And for some reason, I guess maybe I was going to wash his whole body cause I took his diaper off too. But at that exact moment when I was washing him off in the sink, uh, somebody let the cat in. We had an outdoor cat that was never allowed inside. So the cat got in and there's yelling, the cat's in, the cat's in. The cat decided to run to me. I don't like cats, but it ran to me at the sink, and the dog decided to get the cat out of the house. So I am holding naked one-year-old boy, and now the cat is circling me. The dog is circling me. The kids are chasing the dog and the cat, trying to catch them to help me, and Sakim starts peeing. So I am twirling in circles, holding a peeing naked child with a cat and a dog running around me and several children following them, everyone screaming, and Wes opens the door and arrives home. And I look up and say, hi, honey. (laughs) So that is the scene that I pictured in my head every time Ashley said, I want you to teach on order and organization. And I was like, you don't want me to teach on this. But Apparently, God did. And so I sat and listened, and God gave me a message. Hopefully hopefully it blessed them. I don't know. It was good for me, obviously good for me, to even just pray about order and organization. But guess what? It was all around one verse. And the verse is Proverbs 14.1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with their own hands. 
you can go on our church website, Calvary Chapel, Chester Springs, if you want to listen to that teaching. I'm not going to say the exact same thing here. Um, it's under ministries, under women's ministries, and moms in Christ, and you can find it there. But today, in this episode, I want to just consider wisdom and foolishness from this verse. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish one pulls it down with her own hands. Wisdom and foolishness, and how they aren't just abstract concepts, but the real deal, real life, when we talk about what it looks like where we live. This is the Pause and Ponder podcast with me, Susie. I hope and pray that listening along with me for a few minutes will brighten your day and bring you closer to the heart of God. Okay, so thinking about wisdom and foolishness. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish one pulls it down with her own hands. Clearly, wisdom makes a difference. There's a different result in life. Wisdom builds, foolishness tears down or destroys. And this isn't just for our homes. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So that's living your whole life. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. So wisdom, we need it for all of life, including how we build our homes. And thankfully, all we have to do is ask. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, to all, without reproach, and it will be given him. So all we have to do is ask. That is actually, just occurred to me, makes a lot of sense, because in the teaching I did for church, um, the whole teaching was kind of, it was on the one verse, but it was the teaching was organized around different questions I had for the ladies and for us to ask ourselves. So there you go. Gaining wisdom involves asking, asking God for it. So what is wisdom? Well, the dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern or judge what is right, true, or lasting. And they qualify knowledge as different. Knowledge, on the other hand, is information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance. So there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. So I would call it, that's if you look at that definition, I would call it wisdom is good decision-making, discerning or judging what is true, right, and lasting. You're discerning what is right. The question is, how do you define good? And this kind of makes sense how people can have different ideas of what wisdom is. For example, people in the world might define good differently than Christians do. For example, some people might define good as what makes the most money. So then wise decisions, a life of wisdom, would be the road to financial success. Others might define good as living up to a moral code, and that gets us more in the realm of a Christian understanding. In the Christian understanding, it's submitting to God's definition of good. And I bet you have heard this verse before and maybe thought of it when I said I was going to talk about wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That uh, first part is in a lot of different verses. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is learning what kind of decisions God makes and then making decisions based on God's authority over those decisions. 
So when we say, be wise in how you live, we are saying, make decisions based on what God says, with what God values as the priority. Fear of the Lord isn't being afraid, of course. It's reverence, awe, respect, acknowledging who God is as he reveals and describes himself, not as we decide he will be or what we think he is. When we fear God in this way, we're submitting to his definition of good, and that is the beginning of learning how to make good decisions. God's standards, God's definition of good, that's the beginning of wisdom. It's learning what kind of decisions God makes, and then making decisions based on God's authority over our decisions in our life. So, when we say, be wise in how you live, we're saying, make decisions based on what God says, with what God values as the priority. Like God says, you know, to keep our eyes on eternal things versus temporal things. I like to think of it as put it on a scale. You know the old-fashioned scale where you would put the weights on one side and the stuff on the other, and one side goes up and the other side goes down? We put the decision we have before us on a scale to weigh it, giving weight to what to God's way, usually versus our own way or making someone else happy. That should not weigh as much as God's way. And so then the decision is made. But, of course, this implies knowing God's way. So we have to know Scripture. We have to know what it says. We have to know what God has revealed about himself. So there always comes back to read your Bible, right? Because we have to learn and um, and understand God's way. But back to the topic of homekeeping. You know, God doesn't ever say vacuum every day. It, the word vacuum is not even in the Bible. But maybe the wise woman builds her house means she is making a conscious decision about how to do it. She's going before the Lord and asking, and here it is, the asking, what do you want me to do here in this home with these specific people and these specific circumstances? I think that's how a wise woman builds her house. And of course, that changes frequently. Circumstances certainly change. So we have to ask frequently. It keeps us coming back to the Lord over and over. Letting God direct the expectations and then we can be at peace with that when it's God's expectations instead of some standard that the world has set. And those worldly standards, they just sort of seep into us and give us the deception that there are these people out there who never have dirty dishes or stuff to put away. Of course, that's not true. And that's just silly. In fact, that's foolish, right? Because we're never going to have peace if we're trying to live up to worldly standards that don't even exist. But that leads me to foolish, foolishness, which is also in this, in this verse. The foolish one tears it down with their own hands. What is foolish? Foolish is acting without regard to divine law. It can just mean ignorant, but it's more than just being ignorant. It's using our intelligence to make wrong decisions. Sounds like rationalizing or manipulating to me. Or imprudence or just not thinking about what we're doing like proceeding without a plan. And that can hit a little close to home for me because I don't always like to have a plan. I like to be spontaneous. I like to be flexible. So there's this this um, balancing act, I guess you could say, of planning enough, right, to work productively, to make our homes function, to, to work all, through all of life um, so that we don't waste time, 
like it said, making the most of every opportunity. If I don't plan to a degree, I'm going to be wasting time and then I'm not making the most of every opportunity. So I get that. I don't want to be foolish like that. And I think that's why the way I uh, sort of wrap my brain around that in this teaching and in thinking about these things was I need to be asking God questions and then listening and then coming up with a reasonable plan. But let's think about fool for a minute. I want to make sure I'm not a fool. What is a fool? Well, taken from a whole bunch of proverbs that talk about fools, we can put it all together like this. Here's, here are a few things that describe a fool. A slanderer. So words, talking badly about others, is a fool or is foolish. A fool does not take sin seriously. A fool rejects the advice of others. And a fool is proud of wrong actions or even glorifies them. A fool is reckless and careless. A fool does not plan ahead, but rather lives life without considering the impact his actions have on himself or others. A fool doesn't listen to parents, so they're unteachable. They lack respect or of authority. And a fool repeats mistakes instead of learning from them. Uh, that's a lot of things. Generally, I see it as a lack of reflection on life and a lack of planning, like I was saying before. But also, a fool makes the wrong things important in life. Temporal things instead of eternal things. You know that parable of the guy who had a lot of stuff, so he built more barns, and then the next, God said to him, uh, the next day he died, and God says to him, you fool, tomorrow I will require your soul of you. You wasted, you wasted the time because you made something important that wasn't important to me. That is foolish. So, one way to stop foolishness, as far as this planning aspect, is to take a breath and ask yourself, what is really important here? And stop fussing, stressing, being irritated, and generally losing our peace over things that are not really that important. How did they gain such importance anyway? Have we let the lie that we need to be perfect seep in? So then everything that reveals that we are less than perfect steals our peace? Or have we let the lie that our worth is in these things? Our identity. And so then when the house or the kids or the marriage or the clothes or our weight or even our face <laughs> are less than ideal, we feel insecure because we feel condemned and shaken like something is wrong. And there goes our peace. Or maybe it just comes down to my own selfishness when what I want is more important than what God wants. I lose my peace. So that's foolishness. And what's the opposite? Wisdom. What does a wise person look like? Well, just take the opposites, right? Because that's how Proverbs sets them up, that a wise person and a foolish person are opposites. So a wise person speaks well of others because she's humble and extends grace. A wise person takes her own sin seriously, keeping short accounts, examining my heart and repenting, and not glorifying sin. A wise person is teachable. A wise person respects authority. A wise person still makes mistakes but learns from them. And back to it begins with fear of the Lord. A wise person is someone who knows who God is and is in awe of who God is. 
and knowing that he made us, that we're not perfect. A wise person has peace because they don't even try to be perfect. The wise person does not find their identity or their worth at all. The wise person is told what their worth is. They learn it. The wise person doesn't choose an identity. They learn their identity. When they have believed on Jesus, they also believe the identity he has given them, and that is child of God, valuable, known, heard, and precious with purpose. But back to Proverbs 14.1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. So real life, real life wisdom happens in our homes. I think a wise thing to do is pause and reflect on your home life, whether you're married or not, or whatever your home life looks like. We all have somewhere we live. No matter what kind of home you have and who lives in it, think about it and ask this question. Is God pleased with this home? Am I giving my best? You know, do all things as unto the Lord. Am I giving my best to be a keeper, a manager of this home? And am I working to get to a place of peace? Not because it looks perfect all the time, but because you are letting God set the expectations in everything. If you ask God, are you pleased with this home? You're asking him, what are your expectations for what this home is to be? And you know, sometimes we might have to say, right now, God has me working on this issue over here. And he has told me that, the, that for this season, this is more important. And real peace comes from living by the priorities, the values, the order that God has ordained and saying, I'm okay with it. I lose peace when the order gets messed up, like when God is not first. Then I feel unsettled, no matter what has displaced God first. So when I find my worth in anything else, I feel insecure. Worth in other things is so shaky. If my husband defines my worth, if I'm a people pleaser, so I find rest and peace when he's happy with me. Well, guess what? He can get annoyed and there goes my peace. If my identity is tied to my house, and I think this is a common thing, a common temptation for women to find identity in and feeling success in what the house looks like. Not that it's an expensive house, but that it's organized, it's functioning well. And of course, we do want it to function well, so there's that. But if we find our identity in it, then my security goes up and down based on how clean it is or how well it's functioned. Or you might not feel it all the time, like, oh, no, my identity's not tied up in my house. No, no, not at all. But then the minute people are going to come over, insecurity spews forth like vomit, and we realize, oh, maybe my identity was tied to my house a little more than I thought. If my identity is found in my children, when they fail or are less than perfect, my world is rocked and I convince myself I'm the one who's failed. And I guess they're just extensions of me. And that's not true. None of that is true. None of that is where we are to find our identity. And then it's easy to find our worth in what we look like physically. I really dug into this topic back in episode six, which was called When the Truth Matters. And it was a, a great topic, such a great topic to look into. And it's just a really common area where women struggle with self-worth and identity and separating that from their physical body, their physical beauty. But our identity, our value, our worth, it's in none of these things. And we know that. But sometimes it's what happens in our home and with our families that alerts us 
to us slipping into a different kind of identity. So there's that. There's this idea of if we're not making sure I, our identity and our value is in Christ, that it can lead to unrest and, and anxiety just taking care of our homes, right? But then there, I feel like there's another thing, and this is what I call it. I can also lose my peace when I just have trouble adulting. You know, have you ever thought, why do I struggle so much just to be an adult, to pay the bills on time, to clean regularly, to get to all the things and have the right clothes to wear to them? It's exhausting. I guess you could say it's it's basically despair. I usually describe it as drowning versus swimming. That's how well I'm I'm adulting. If I'm adulting well, I'm swimming. I'm like getting through it. And if it's becoming overwhelming, I feel like I'm drowning. But it definitely still helps when I feel like I'm drowning to pause, take a breath, and ask, what about this is important to God? When you're struggling to adult, you can actually ask God, okay, what do I need to do next, like right now? And he will tell you. Sometimes it's actually take a nap and have a snack, right? Elijah was told to do that. Other times it's plan and get to work. But back to the home. The wise woman builds her house. So clearly she is one who has submitted to God's authority in her life and says, I'm going to live your way, Lord. So show me how you want me to do that, to serve you in my home, and to do it unto you. Here are some questions to ask. What do you want my daily schedule to be, God? Have you ever asked God what time to get up in the morning? Or do you figure out how much time you need to get ready and then work backwards from that time, uh, from the time you need to leave? Or have you asked God what time to go to bed? It's kind of interesting, instead of what you feel like doing. Or how about this question? What do I need to do, Lord, to get my heart where you want it to be? So that's a heart of peace, joy, ready to love others, be content. And this can be really practical. Like something could be really getting in the way of you having that heart. Let me give you an example. Let's say the shoes all over the house really irritate you. So you ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do about these shoes? Now here's the beauty of it. There isn't just one answer. I can't tell you what God wants you to do about the shoes in your house. There isn't a rule because then it would be legalism. Instead, God didn't give us a rule because he wants us to come to him and ask him these things. So here's, you, you could probably think of lots of things, or maybe you think there's only one thing to do with shoes. They, they get put away right immediately. What do you mean shoes all over the house? Well, I don't know about you. In my house, there can be shoes all over the house. So here are some possibilities. Get a bin, put it near the door, even if it's in the living room, so what? You get a bin, and now you have a place for shoes, if you didn't even have a place for them. Number two, an answer to that question, what do you want me to do about these shoes, Lord? The answer could be nothing. Just accept that this is part of living, shoes all over the place, and let it go. That actually might be something God is telling you to do. Might not be, though. I'm not saying it is. Number three. Decide a time of day when you pick up all the shoes and put them in the bin or in people's rooms or wherever you want them to be. In other words, decide to just do the work. Decide to think of this as a way you serve others, that God is calling you to love your family. So there's no bitterness, there's no irritation, just you serving your family. Number four, train other people, aka kids, in your family to put their shoes away immediately. Training. That might be what God is asking you to do, which definitely takes longer than just doing it yourself. Number five, 
enter the house through a different way, a different door, and leave the shoes there. Or, six, take your shoes off in the car. Just leave them in the car. Then you will not have shoes all over the house. In other words, I'm saying God can give you very creative ideas about how to um, organize your home. And the last one would be just have less shoes. Let everyone have one pair of shoes. Get rid of them. So clearly there are a lot of ways to handle something that irritates you and robs you of peace. But the solution is always ask God. And I think we have to keep asking God because there can be different answers in different seasons. What is foolish is to just be irritated every day with something that you've not taken any time to pause and consider what does God want you to do about it. Because I guarantee you the one thing God does not want you to do about it is just be irritated, complain about it, get bitter about it, or condemn yourself and put yourself down about it. God might want you to just accept it as part of living and that it's a reminder that perfection in all of us humans is a lie. Just be a little more transparent. Or God might want you to work harder. Work is good. Serving others is love. God might want you to ask for help. Not being able to do it all is okay. And communicating in a loving way that you need help is a good thing. And remember, we are deciding wisdom is making decisions based on what is good. And actually, a whole other topic is that self-sufficiency, being able to do it all, can be an idol in our lives, especially in America. Or God might want you to take time to train your children in a specific way. It's almost always faster to do it yourself, but maybe God isn't interested in faster. And training doesn't mean yelling, why doesn't anyone ever put their shoes away? It's teaching, modeling, demonstrating, reminding, rewarding, and yes, even consequences, appropriate ones without frustration on our end. Just remember, training doesn't expect perfection either. Our kids can feel like we expect them to be perfect, and we have to be careful about that too. But the point is, the shoes are just an example. We each have to ask, where is peace and joy lacking in my home, in my own heart, in our, my relationships, in our schedule? What do I just need to let go of and not let it define me anymore? What can I do to change something to create peace and joy in this place, in this place we call home, and in my own heart? What is taking too much of my time that I need to figure out a faster way? What is neglected that you, God, want me to pay more attention to? There's so much to do. We, can, we have to prioritize. We have to ask God, what is the most important thing for me to do right now? And what am I doing here that is not even necessary, that isn't God's expectation or God's um, standard? What can I just cut out? Maybe it's my standard, and I need to give up my standard for God's standard. So what do you want me to do, Lord, to make this place, this home, function for your glory? To be a place for us to live and grow in love. To be a place where guests can come in and feel welcome and comfortable. And most of all, to be a place that points to you, that pleases you, God. That is a lot of questions. But pausing to pray and ask God is essential for all of these things, for productive work, for joy, peace, well, it's really just about abiding in Christ. It's asking, listening, 
and then obeying, which makes me think of this verse that also has the word wise in it. And this was Jesus talking. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So asking, listening, and obeying is what Jesus called wise. And the wise man in that passage has his peace intact. Here's my version of that scripture. Everyone then who hears these words of Christ and does them will be like a wise woman who built her house on Jesus. And the schedule filled and the stomach bug came and the papers blew and the, the kids beat on that house. But she did not fall to pieces because she had been found on Jesus. Peace intact, joyful heart, a smile in the storm. This is wisdom, God's wisdom in real life. I hope this encouraged you to try pausing not just to ponder, but to pray before all of your plans that you might grow in wisdom and not grow weary in all you are building for him. Till next time. Thank you.